miracle child from a barren woman is set apart for God's purposes. But as he matures, his desires take precedence over obedience. On The Bible Brief. The Bible Brief is a project of the Bible Literacy Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Check out our website today at BibleLit.org. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, and say to them, When either a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar made from wine or strong drink, and shall not drink any juice of grapes or eat grapes, fresh or dried. All the days of his separation he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine, not even the seeds or the skins. All the days of his vow of separation, no razor shall touch his head, until the time is completed for which he separates himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. He shall let the locks of his hair of his head grow long. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body, not even for his father or for his mother, for brother or sister if they die, shall he make himself unclean because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation, he is holy to the Lord. From Numbers, chapter 6. Israel seems to be on a program of national suicide. Not a physical suicide, but a spiritual one. A suicide where death comes as they willingly separate themselves from Yahweh. The God who delivered them from all of their enemies time and time again has been ignored. The people have whored after other gods. They have intermixed with the people of the land of Canaan. The men have given in to all their impulses for the daughters of the Canaanites. The parents haven't taught their children. The children have forgotten the God of their fathers. Israel is a nation on the precipice of death, a mere shadow of what it once was when it was led in triumph out of Egypt when it decimated the people of the land. That was centuries ago. It could have been a thousand years ago. Israel's spiritual vitality has been hollowed out, and their blessing in the land has been replaced with destitution and denigration. They are a flickering flame, ready to be extinguished by a light breeze. And the nation would die with a whimper, were it not for their God. Because even in an era of near-complete rejection, apostasy, and perversion, God still remembers His promises. Promises to Eve, the mother of all living people. Promises to Abraham, the father of his nation. Promises to Judah, the tribe of the king. And promises to Moses, that a prophet like him would arise out of Israel. Even when His people reject Him, Yahweh yet acts in preservation of His promises and in preservation of the people through whom the great king would one day come. And in these days for Israel, such a preservation is sorely needed. The flickering flame will need to be protected, fanned and fueled, so that it can one day turn into a blazing fire, into a kingdom with dominion not just in Israel, but over the whole earth. And so God acts, and he acts in response to silence, The people aren't crying out to him. Instead, 
the people of Israel have been slowly coaxed into a malaise of quiet subjugation. The Philistines are dominating them, but rather than cry out to God, they remain silent. We read this in Judges chapter 13, as we learn the background of a new movement of God. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for forty years. There was a certain man of the city of Zorah, of the tribe of Dan, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful, and drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. In a sudden entrance into the affairs of this obscure family in Israel, God does something that we haven't seen in nearly a millennium. He promises that a barren woman will conceive. Yahweh will open the womb of the barren woman, just as he had done in the age of the fathers, for Abraham's wife Sarah, for Isaac's wife Rebekah, and for Jacob's wife Rachel. This is quite an event, but it comes with commands too. The woman and her husband are to raise the boy as a Nazarite from the womb, a vow that included stipulations for no alcohol consumption, no contact with dead bodies, and no cutting of hair. God commanded that this child from the barren woman would be a Nazarite from the very moment of his conception. And this command will come to shape the life of this enigmatic individual, a man dedicated to God from the womb, yet flippant about his calling and his vow. We read in verse 24 that, The woman bore a son and called his name Samson, and the young man grew and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. Now, when the Spirit of the Lord is involved with a person, it can be easy to assume that that person will suddenly become a man of perfect moral character, with feats dedicated to God and to God's glory. But we don't see that out of Samson. Instead, we see, well, the opposite. Rather than live in the purity of his Nazarite calling and of the empowering of the Spirit, we learn that he largely resists God's rules and calling. We read this in Judges chapter 14. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and his mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as a wife. But his father and his mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives, or among all our people, that you must go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. At this point in the narrative, Samson is a young man, a man with very long hair that his parents haven't cut even a single time in his life. He's been protected from death and contact with corpses, and he'd never had a drop of alcohol. He's been set apart since the womb, and yet the first thing we hear about Samson is that he wants to marry a Philistine. He wants to marry a forbidden woman. Now his parents had been trying to follow the Nazarite vow for Samson, 
And they're trying to at least follow the law of Moses with regard to Samson's marriage. But he simply insists that he must marry the Philistine woman. So surely his parents say, Well, son, no, that's just out of the question. You can't marry someone who isn't an Israelite. At least, that's what we'd hope they'd do. But next we read this. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. Yahweh is doing something interesting with these sinful desires of Samson. While Samson is driven by his lust to marry the Philistine, Yahweh is using Samson's unholy motive for his own purposes. And inserted into this travel narrative, we find, oddly enough, that the Spirit of the Lord causes Samson to kill a lion with his bare hands. This lion is going to have a great deal to do with the next part of the story, because he comes across this lion again several days later. After some days, he returned to take the Philistine woman, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion, and honey. He scraped it out into his hands and went on, eating as he went. And he came to his father and his mother and gave some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. This odd story gets odder still as Samson eats honey from the carcass of this lion he'd killed with his bare hands. And while this may seem like a random detail, we shouldn't miss the fact that he's violating his Nazarite vow. He shouldn't be in contact with dead bodies, and yet he's eating honey from within one. He's broken the law of Moses in marrying the Philistine, and he's broken his vow by eating from this dead lion. Samson doesn't have a good record so far. And frankly, he doesn't seem to care. Soon, Samson is back at Timnah, and he's prepared a feast, or as the Hebrew here indicates, a party with drinks. He apparently wants to celebrate his nuptials, but in doing that, he's breaking his Nazarite vow yet again. He's not supposed to be drinking alcohol. But it's in the midst of this party that the narrative continues to develop. Next, we read this. As soon as the people saw him, they brought thirty companions to be with him. And Samson said to them, Let me now put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you thirty linen garments and thirty changes of clothes. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me thirty linen garments and thirty changes of clothes. And they said to him, Put your riddle that we may hear it. And he said this, Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. And in three days, they couldn't solve the riddle. Now, you and I know the answer to this riddle, but the Philistines are clueless. Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. Hmm. You can imagine their consternation at being unable to solve the riddle. Some new clothes would be a great win from this foreigner who'd married one of their own. But then these Philistines have an idea. An idea involving blackmail. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you in your father's house with fire. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? 
And Samson's wife wept over him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have put a riddle to my people and you have not told me what it is. And he said to her, Behold, I have not told my father nor my mother. And shall I tell you? She wept before him the seven days that their feast lasted. And on the seventh day he told her, because she pressed him hard. Samson, having set off this whole event by making a bet on a riddle, can't even restrain himself from telling his new wife the solution. While you can imagine she pressed him hard, trying to save her family from these brutal Philistines, he simply can't keep his mouth shut. Then she told the riddle to her people, and the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. Samson is miffed. His new wife told the other Philistines the answer to the riddle. He's not only mad that they solved it, but he even degrades his new wife by calling her a heifer. But God soon uses even Samson's anger to achieve his ends. Soon Samson provides those clothes that he'd bet on the riddle. We read this. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon, a city of the Philistines, and struck down thirty men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger he went back to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. Note here that the Spirit of the Lord empowers Samson to strike down thirty Philistines in his anger. This is the first clue as to what God is doing in the life of Samson. Despite Samson's hot temper, lustful intentions, lack of holiness, and disobedience, God is using him to begin the defeat of the Philistines. Now, many days after this event, Samson attempts to get his Philistine wife back from Timnah and finds out that she's been given to another man. As you might imagine, Samson becomes angry again, and then he uses a bunch of foxes and torches to set the Philistine crops ablaze. But he eventually ends up a prisoner of the Philistines. Prisoner, though, only for a moment because the Spirit of the Lord again rushes upon him to defeat more Philistines. Next we read, Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, and put out his hand and took it, and with it he struck one thousand men. And Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, have I struck down a thousand men. God has been using Samson's rash, angry, and lustful actions for a transcendent purpose. While Samson remains disobedient, God is yet causing this man to do something for his nation Israel. God is using this Nazarite to defeat the people of the land. Even as the Israelites themselves disobey him, God is still working on their behalf. And soon, Samson will have an even greater role to play. But first, this mighty warrior who can defeat a thousand will be defeated himself. Defeated by his own lusts. Join us next time as Samson gets a new wife in a new town. A wife who finds the secret to his great strength. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible.
Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023.